Welcome to Crime Shots. I'm Bree. And I'm Nikki. So I have a... It's it's kind of long. I, I didn't mean for it to be long, but that's what it is. Okay. So we've covered several different crimes that are more recent. Mm-hmm. Like our most recent episodes are have been like more recent. So we've covered uh, like the Angel of Death. It was a nurse, a murdering nurse in the 80s. We talked right. about... Lori Ruff, who was like an identity thief in 2010. We talked about uh, Carrie Baker on episode 28, who that was in t- 2006. Mm-hmm. So, and then obviously most recently we discussed the murder of Brittany McGlone, which occurred in 2007. So it's all been more recent stuff. So this week, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you a little bit further back in time. We're going okay. back. Okay, I'm ready. Back to school. I'm just kidding. Okay, so 1966. That's that's pretty far back. <laughs> it's not that far. It's not as far as I thought you were gonna go. Yeah, thought I was gonna go back to the 1800s, huh? Mm-hmm. Mm-mm, we're not doing that one yet. Okay. So 1966, Rosebud, Texas. Ooh. Okay. Uh, so there was a series of events that led to an attack with one of the most unusual weapons we've talked about okay so this is the broomstick murders Okay. All right. So Rosebud, Texas, it's in Falls County. It's about 25 miles east of Temple. Has a population by like 1,400. So it's the childhood home of Greg Knox, is a well-known college football coach. Uh, A.D. Whitfield, a football player, played for the Cowboys. If you don't know who the Cowboys are, you have not been listening. Also a running back that played for the San Diego Chargers and the New York Jets, but I can't pronounce his name, so it's not important. But Rosebud is also the birthplace of Kenneth McDuff. It's okay to say you don't recognize it. Don't recognize what? Who that is. Yes, I do. <laughs> I mean, who do- Who doesn't? Oh, I didn't know. What? I didn't know. What? I'm sorry. I, I, I didn't know you could hear me. I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> I had never heard this name before. Okay. So, see, this is going to be a treat for you experiencing me not knowing. Okay. Ready. All right. Kenneth was born March 21st, 1946 in Rosebud. His parents were John Allen and Addie, who had six children, Kenneth being the fifth of the six. So, John Allen owned his own concrete business, and apparently there was, like, a boom in construction in the 60s, so obviously he's doing well. Growing up, Kenneth was a bully at school, and he was even known to, like, shoot small animals. So, right off... how it always starts. Exactly. (laughs) Did you ever ever watch that documentary on Netflix? I think it was on Netflix. Probably. It was like, don't don't F with cats or something. Oh, yes. Yeah. I did. Yeah, it tells us everything we need to know. So, uh, he was, like, six foot tall and weighed over, like, 200 pounds. So, 
He's a big dude and a bully that shoots animals. Right. He's got a reputation. He he's developed himself as that guy, right? Eventually, he quits school in like the eighth grade and goes to work for his father, basically doing whatever his father asks him to do. So then his criminal record begins, right? So Kenneth moseys on over to a few different counties. He goes to Bell County, and that's where Temple is, so like west of Rosebud. Falls County, which is where Rosebud is. And Milam County, which is just the next county south of Rosebud. So in these counties, he robs some stuff. He's convicted of 12 counts of burglary and attempted burglary, right? So he's a thief. Uh, Kenneth was sentenced to four years in prison for each count. Now, the judge ordered those to be served concurrently. So, for people like me that don't understand the difference in concurrent and consecutive, here's the difference. I'm sure you know the difference, Nikki, yes? <laughs> no, Brie, I don't. What, what, t- please enlighten me. Okay, cool. I'm going to tell you. So, consecutive means that they have to finish the sentence, one sentence before the next one is served. And he got four years for each count, so he'd have to serve like 48 years. Right. But concurrent means that they can be served at the same time with the longest sentence controlling. So in this case, he got the same amount for each count, four years. So after four years, he served time for all of all counts. Right. But if he had gotten like four years for some and six for the rest, he'd have to serve six to cover after the four it hit, after the four years it covers those counts but he'd have to cover have to serve six to cover the the rest right so that's what those mean all right did you did you, you did, know you did good so you did know that <laughs> you didn't catch my sarcasm in the beginning go ahead oh oh I got it oh, okay. but I didn't know what those meant so so uh, this happened when Kenneth was like eighteen so like nineteen sixty four. Um, and he was paroled in December of 65. So, he's out. Um, but that's when he starts bragging about stuff, right? Right. So, he's this big dude. He's already a bully. And now, he served time. So, he starts telling people, you know, hey, I've served time. I'm, you know, I'm a badass. But he also starts telling people things, other things that he did, right? So, he made a friend, which I don't, I don't know if, I guess, if someone would be friends with him or if it's more like hey you will you will hang out with me and you will do what i tell you to do because i'm big and i'll mess you up right so we'll just say he made a friend okay uh his name was roy green roy was from marlin so marlin's like 20 miles north of rosebud so kenneth and roy were they were about the same age uh roy was also a high school dropout and roy roy's kind of a small dude and Obviously, he's easily bullied by Kenneth. All right. So, not only was Kenneth, like, this huge dude that could potentially whoop his ass, but remember I said Kenneth starts bragging about, you know, I've been in prison and, you know, all this stuff, right? So, and he also starts bragging about some other stuff. In particular, Kenneth tells Roy that a couple years before, he had raped and killed two women. Bragging about it. Yeah, he's bragging about it. He's like, yeah, I did this. So... Apparently, Roy had, like, just... This is how I got brought up. So, Roy asked Kenneth one day if he had ever killed anybody. And Kenneth's like, yeah. And I just I just buried him. So, he tells Roy that he, like, sexually assaulted some women, raped them, and cut their throat and left them in a ditch. 
And Roy said that Kenneth referred to killing women like killing a chicken because they both squawk. Okay. So all of this that he's talking about would have happened before he went to prison for theft. Right. So allegedly. On August 6, 1966, Kenneth and Roy had spent their Saturday pouring concrete at a job for Kenneth's father. Kenneth had just got a new vehicle. So when they get off work, they're like, let's drive around. And they decide to go to Fort Worth. So that's like at least a two-hour drive one way from Rosebud to Fort Worth. Okay. So... That far? Yeah. Well, to downtown Fort Worth it is. Okay. So uh, the two of them are just like cruising around Fort Worth, drinking beer. Kenneth said he was looking for a girl. I mean, it makes sense. Not really surprising me that like... Two 18-ish year old dudes. I mean, they ain't asking for much. Oh, they, okay. ju- they just want to go downtown. Just just looking for some tush. I mean, you okay. Know? They've been bad. They've been good. Dallas, Texas. Anyway, somehow they end up in Everman. So Everman's like a... It's still a part of Fort Worth. It's like south of downtown. So like branching out. Right? So the guys find themselves parked close to like a baseball field. And on the field are three teenagers just hanging out. So, Robert Brand, who's 18, his girlfriend, Edna Sullivan, who's 16, and then Robert's cousin, Mark Dunman, who was also 16. So, the three of them had gone to see a movie that ended, like, a little bit before 10, and then they ended up parking on the field and hanging out. So, that's what you do back then. You didn't have technology. Right. Couldn't just, like, you know, hop on a video game and chat or... On a Discord channel. So, Kenneth decides he, he's going to go over and talk to the teenagers, right? So, he grabs his gun. This is fishy, right? Why why you, why you need a gun to go talk to the teenagers, you know? Right. And Kenneth and Roy, just, they go over to him. So, Kenneth points his thirty eight revolver at the kids and tells them to get in the trunk of their car. Like, how messed up is that? You are threatened and forced to get into the trunk of your own car. So, all three of them get into the trunk. Kenneth tells Roy to go drive his car. And he would drive the kids' car, and he's like, "Follow behind me. We're, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna go ride." So they start driving. They end up down like back roads, right? And end up in a field like north of Burleson. Okay. So Burleson's like south Fort Worth. It's like even more south of Everman. Google says it's like 18 minutes from downtown Fort Worth. Okay. So south side of town. Kenneth opens the trunk and tells Edna to get out. When she gets out, he he's talking to Roy, and he's like, put her in the trunk of our car, of our car and uh, I'm going to have to get rid of these guys because they saw my face. So Roy basically does as he's told, and he takes the girl and puts her in the trunk of their car. Kenneth proceeds to fire six rounds into the trunk of the kids, of, like a, of the kids' car, shooting the boys in the face. So he kills them. Then he goes over and tells Roy that he needs to go wipe that car down. So that there's no fingerprints. And I just feel like Roy wasn't in the car. Like, his fingerprints aren't in the car. That's rude. Well, sounds to me like he's a big enough guy. He can make any little old Roy do whatever he wants. Yeah, that's true. So, Kenneth and Roy hop back in their car with Edna in the trunk. And they start driving around again. They drive even further south and stop in another field. So, when they stop in this field, Kenneth, Kenneth takes Edna into the field... He rapes her, like, three times. 
He violates her with a three-foot-long broomstick that he found in his car. And then goes back to Roy and tells Roy to rape her, which he does. And then they put her back in the trunk and start driving again. So they end up in Egan. So that's even more, it's even more south of Fort Worth. It's like 15 minutes south of Burleson. So they're just like, just keep going further down, like kind of towards Rosebud. They stop on a gravel road. They get Edna out of the trunk, force her to the ground. Roy holds her legs while Kenneth presses the broomstick handle to her throat until she stops breathing. Then they throw her body in some nearby bushes over a fence. Sad. Yeah. So before ending up at Roy's house to spend the night, they stop and grab some Coca-Colas. Gotta get some Coke. Well, they're probably dehydrated. So the next day, Kenneth buries the evidence in Roy's yard. Of course. Then goes to another. Right. Yeah, because Roy's not going to obviously do anything about it. And then he goes to another friend's house to wash his car. So, like I said, all this happened on a Saturday night. Then Sunday, they spend Sunday trying to cover it up. The two guys that he shot were found Sunday morning. And I guess Roy heard about it like while he was listening to the radio. He freaked out, told a friend of his. That friend told his mom. And so then his mom's like, Roy, you need to, you need to go say something. And so Roy turns himself in. Oh, Roy goes down and says, we did it. <laughs> well, kinda. He goes down and he's like, yeah, Kenneth did it. Oh. <laughs> but he, he went, like, he told, he told them everything. Like, he even went with them and showed them where everything happened and where Edna was, where they dumped her body. So Roy's already in custody, right? And... They go to Falls County to get Kenneth, which is, you know, where Rosebud is. So Brady Pamplin, yeah, it's not important if I say the name right, it's not, was the Falls County Sheriff, and Deputy U.S. Marshal Thomas McNamara went to arrest Kenneth, okay? So we have Falls County Sheriff and then the Deputy U.S. Marshal. They go to arrest Kenneth, and he runs, okay? So, you know, he's not all badass, okay? He ran, and... What happens when you run? There's a car chase. Ooh. Okay, so there's a car chase. Ending with the officer shooting Kenneth's car and eventually hitting the tires, and that's what stops him. So Kenneth and Roy were both taken to Tarrant County, and they're charged with murder. So Roy obviously pled guilty to his participation in everything, and he's sentenced to 25 years in prison. 25 years! Only Roy, though. Yeah, that's what Roy got. Because, you know, technically, I guess he didn't murder anybody. He just aided in the murder. And then he also raped a woman. I feel like he should get life just for the rape. I agree. So, but he got 25 years. Okay. Kenneth, how, they probably went easy on him because he turned himself in and gave him all the information. Kenneth, however, claims he didn't have anything to do with it. He didn't know anything about it. He lent his car to Roy. So basically, Kenneth blames everything on Roy and said... I don't know what y'all are talking about. I, I, I didn't do nothing. Which, in all reality, that kind of makes Roy look bad. Because unless they have evidence against Kenneth, then it's like, oh, Roy did all this stuff, but he's blaming it on his friend. You know what I mean? But anyway. True. But it's okay. It's fine. The jury didn't see it like that anyway. They found him guilty, and he was sentenced to the electric chair. Right. All right. So let me explain. Back in the day, in Texas, death row inmates were given the electric chair. Old the, Sparky. <laughs> the chair was called Old Sparky. Which is actually the same name used for the electric chair in several other states. Did you know that? 
not know that. Oklahoma, Ohio, New York, all of the electric chairs were called Old Sparky. There were a handful of states that called theirs Old Smoky. I thought it was just Texas that called it Old Sparky, but whatever. So Texas executed a total of 361 inmates in that chair. Side note, the chair was built by inmates. Another side note, employees of prisons are not allowed to call them inmates or convicts. Did you know that? I didn't know that either. So I knew that. For obvious reasons to me. Um, but what are they supposed to call them? The offenders. Oh, offenders. Yeah. The way I heard it um, years ago uh, is that there was a, a lady whose son, and this could be wrong, there's a lady whose son was locked up, and she, but it was for like mediocre stuff, and she was irritated at the fact that they were calling him an inmate and a convict, and so she sued him because, you know, it's like derogatory or whatever. Anyway, and it was ordered that now they have to call them offenders because just because they're locked up doesn't make them necessarily an inmate or a convict. It makes them offenders of the law. They offended the law. So, anyway, that's where that came from. But I found it odd. The particular article that I was reading said that Kenneth was sentenced to the electric chair. But according to Wikipedia... Old Sparky was used from 1924 through 1964. Right. Meaning it wouldn't have been used in 1966 when this occurred. So, a few more side notes before I get into all that. I've seen this chair, and it's creepy. I've seen the chair, too. <laughs> um, if you want to see the chair, it's on display at the Prison Museum in Huntsville. Um, I'm not really sure why, but I've been there more than once. Yeah. I don't know why I've been there more than once. <laughs> Um, I guess somebody's probably like, hey, we're going to go over here. You want to go? And I'm like, sure. I've been there. Let's go. But the death row unit is actually like right in the middle of town in Huntsville. Like just like a couple of blocks from Sam Houston State University. It's like right in the middle of town. Uh, it's also the release unit. So people getting released from prison go to that unit and they release them. And they're just like, boom, right there. <laughs> that crazy? I always found that crazy that that unit is like right in the middle. I don't know if it was there in 1966. I know that's where it is now. But I've always found it crazy that it's just like right there in the middle of everything. Alright, back to Roy and Kenneth. So, Roy served 13 years. I can't explain why it, why the article says he was sentenced to the electric chair. Um, but he was sentenced to death row. Uh, and at at the time, they had done away with the electric chair, but they had not had any uh, lethal injection death row, like, yet. They haven't done any, they had not done any of that yet. So I'm not really sure why the article says that, but I'm making it a point to note that they did not use Old Sparky after 1964. Right. So I would assume he was just sentenced to death, right? So I would assume so, unless there was some kind of policy change after, I don't know. Well... I mean, he was sentenced to death. I don't know why it says sentenced to the electric chair, but that's what it says. But he was sentenced to death. So Roy served 13 years of his 25-year sentence and was released. So he was released in 1979. Kenneth was actually sent to, see, the article says the electric chair, but I'm going to say he was sent to the death chamber twice. Both times he received a last-minute stay of execution. So... Twice, he went through the whole process of my last everything, walked to the room that they do it, and he received a last-minute stay of execution. 
both times. After, hmm? Nothing, I'm just shocked. Yeah. I mean, I know that already, but <laughs> it's still it's still shocking. I didn't know that. It's like, I can't believe that. Yeah. So after about six years of Kenneth being on death row, the Supreme Court declared capital, capital punishment to be unconstitutional on the grounds that it was cruel and unusual punishment. At that time, there were 52 inmates on death row, including Kenneth. And all of their sentences were reduced to life. Like, I can't even with that. <laughs> so, this also means that he would get the possibility of parole. Of course. So, what happens? Kenneth was paroled in 1989 to Milam County. <laughs> so, at the time, I'll explain this. At the time, Bill Clements was governor. Governor? Governor. Uh, originally, he told them to he told them to release 750 low risk inmates due to overcrowding. They ended up releasing 60,000 low risk inmates, but apparently that wasn't enough. So then they just start releasing pretty much anyone. I don't I don't think there was like any rhyme or reason to who they released and why. That's where Kenneth comes in. So there were 20 death row inmates released and 127 murderers. And Kenneth was one of them. He was released on October 11th, 1989. So, he gets a job at a gas station and decides to go back to school. Apparently, he was, like, taking classes in Waco at the Texas State Technical College. Then, on October 14th, 1989, a body's discovered. So, I apologize if I say this wrong. Serafia Parker? Serafia Parker? Uh, was a 31-year-old prostitute in Temple. So Temple's like 48 miles south of Waco, which is where he was apparently going to school. And investigators believe Kenneth did it, but he was never convicted of it. Then Kenneth started threatening an African-American man in Rosebud. So there's like, there's a Texas Monthly article all about his release. And they talked to a bunch of people in Rosebud, Rosebud and like all of them were just like terrified. And the rumor was that he was going to go back to Rosebud and get revenge on all the people that picked on him or did him wrong or whatever when he was younger. And so when he got released, everybody in Rosebud just like, just, they were terrified because they were like, he's going to come back and he's going to kill us all. But he did threaten a guy. And threatening someone's illegal. And when you're on parole, you can't do illegal stuff because it's illegal. So he was sent back to prison for violating his parole. And then on December 18th, 1990, he was released again. Right. Then, on October 10th, 1991, Kenneth decides to pick up a prostitute named Brenda Thompson in Waco. I gotta be honest. Religion takes my whole life. I don't think I've come across prostitutes just so willy-nilly like this. Well, no, but I don't know that we would be in an area where they would be. I've been in Waco. I'm saying, I've seen them in Houston and I've seen Dallas. But I have not seen them anywhere else in Texas. San Antonio, yes. I but is it one of those things where, like, you know, you see a lady, like, outside, and then you automatically think she's a prostitute? Or, like, is it like me, and I'm like, oh, she's just going to stand there like that? <laughs> I mean, I guess so. I wouldn't have pegged Julia Roberts for a prostitute, but I guess she was one, too. <laughs> so, anyway, Kenneth ties her up, and uh, he's, like, driving the back roads, you know. Like he does. And he comes across some cops. So apparently there's like a checkpoint set up. I'm not really sure why this checkpoint was set up. It could have been for Kenneth. It could have been for something completely unrelated. I don't know. But they have like this checkpoint set up. And Kenneth 
comes upon this checkpoint. Well, he kind of stops, you know, before he gets there. And Brenda starts kicking out the windshield in Kenneth's car. So, of course, he peels off to the point where, like, officers are, like, jumping out of the way. And, of course, this starts a car chase. I wish I had, like, epic music for the car chases. You know, like, dun 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 No. Anyway. He gets away. Obviously, he tortures Brenda to death. Her body was actually found, was not in fa- found until 1998. Oh, wow. So, in October, or on October 15th, which is just five days later, Kenneth is spotted at a motel in Waco. Did you know the difference between a motel and a hotel, Nikki? We talked about this. For people that don't know, so we've discussed it recently, a hotel is enclosed with multiple floors. And a motel is no more than two floors with outside entrances. Hmm. Let's keep that in mind. Anyway, so Kenneth's at a motel with a prostitute. Her body is found in 1998 off of Highway 6. Turns out, mm-hmm, turns out she was 17-year-old Regenia Moore. Mm-hmm. After that, Kenneth decides he needs a buddy, right? He had Roy. Roy did him wrong. Right, he had Roy. <laughs> now he don't have Roy. So he needs a Roy replacement. So he connects with Alva Worley. I think his middle name is Hank, but we're going to call him Alva because that's his first name and we're going to call him by his first name. So he participates just as Roy did. So he's a full-on Roy replacement. So in 1991, a 28-year-old accountant from Austin is taken by two guys from a car wash. Then, and again in 92... Or then in 92, this was that was in 91, this is 92. Valencia Joshua goes missing after telling friends she was going to Kenneth's dorm room. Mm-hmm. Also in 92, a pregnant 22-year-old named Melissa Northup is also taken by two men from a convenience store that she worked at and managed, which Kenneth was an employee at. So Valencia's body is found on March 15, 1992 at a college golf course. Melissa's body was found by fishermen on April 26, 1992. So, this is a problem, right? Because which county has jurisdiction? Right. All of this stuff happened in different locations, and there are bodies found in other locations. Which department has jurisdiction? So, fortunately for them, it's discovered that Kenneth is also dealing drugs and weapons. Illegal weapons. That, my friends, are federal offenses. So... They don't have specified jurisdiction. It's all over. So investigators track down Alva, the Roy replacement, and he narks just as Roy did. So he explains that he participated in raping the women, but he did not kill them. And, you know, he tells them everything. So by this time, Kenneth, is, he's, he left Texas. He gone. So what do we do when a criminal goes missing? What do we do? What do we do when they just go missing? We feature them on America's Most Wanted. So... It's featured on America's Most Wanted. A couple days after it airs, they get a tip that he's living in Kansas City, Missouri, and his name is now Richard Fowler. He's located and arrested by Deputy U.S. Marshal Thomas McNamara Jr., Deputy U.S. Marshal Mike McNamara, and Falls County Sheriff Larry Pamplin. Thomas and Mike are brothers, and their father, along with Larry's father, had arrested Kenneth originally back in 1966. Ooh... So Kenneth is charged with the murders of Colleen and Melissa. So the trial for Colleen took place in Seguin, which is like northeast of San Antonio, and the trial for Melissa took place in Houston. He's found guilty of bo- both murders in 1994. So 
Let me remind you of the ruling on the death penalty. Remember, we talked about the ruling on the death penalty. They did away with it. Had they not done away with it, he would have been dead, and none of this would have happened. But, so, in 1976, the Supreme Court made a decision to once again allow the death penalty. And, of course, we know that it's done by lethal injection. So, in February of 93, not only did they, or of 94, not only is he found guilty of both murders, but he is sentenced to death again. So, in November of 1998, he finally confesses to the location of Colleen's body, which was found along the Brazos River, along with two other female remains. And on November 17, 1998, Kenneth McDuff was executed in Huntsville, Texas. In total, it's believed that he may have killed more than 15 women. Right. His body was never claimed, and he's buried in the prison cemetery. It's Captain Joe Bird Cemetery in Huntsville. Uh, with his grave marker containing his death row number, X9990555. After Kenneth's second arrest for murder in 92, Texas launched a massive renovation of its prison system to prevent violent crimes from winning early parole. Uh, the tightening parole rules, extensive prison building projects, and improved monitoring of violent parolees are collectively known in Texas as the McDuff Laws, which I didn't know that. And that is where we end our session. <laughs> This was a lot of stuff that I didn't know. A lot of stuff you didn't know? Yeah. How did you know? Well, I guess I've just heard... I mean, I knew he was a serial killer, and it was in Texas, and uh, it was just... It was in Texas, and so I've heard about it, and... Um, well, I, I guess I if he the was... the main thing was the fact that he got life, or I'm sorry, he got the death penalty mm -hmm. and escaped it, mm -hmm. and then it had... I mean... People were killed because of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I guess if it happened in, like, if he was executed in 98, it would have been probably all over the news, which mom and dad probably would have been listening to, because right. they always listen to the news. Yeah. So, murderer. I just feel like, I don't know, if I, I was... he's, like, the only one, right? The only one what? That was, like, sentenced to death, paroled. Killed more then... people and then sentenced to death again? I've never... Unless that's changed. I don't know. I've never heard of anybody else ever doing that. I mean... Crazy. But... Well, I mean, in reading the articles and stuff, his mom had a lot to do with stuff, too. She was, like, paying people off, and... Well, I'm sure. Apparently, she, like, paid off, like, a member of the parole board. And so, stuff happened there. But, yeah, his his mom, from what I read, was, like, a, like she was, like, a badass. Like... She, like, threatened somebody with a gun when he was, like, a kid because his older brother was kicked off of a school bus and stuff. Like, it was crazy. Maybe he gets his violent tendencies from his mom. So, yeah. Crazy. I had never heard any about this, and it's just, I mean, I can't even with... Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting story. But, I mean, I know there's so many people that are on the fence about death penalty and stuff like this, but this, this right here, I think, is why it's in place in certain places. But yeah, uh, I've totally been to the prison museum in Huntsville more than once, and it's interesting. Yeah. What? Well, I don't. I don't even know if like the chair was the most fascinating part about the tour. I was more fascinated at like stuff like uh, way back in the day how they used to have to like grow their own food, and if they didn't grow it, they didn't need it, or if they didn't raise their own cattle or whatever. Like if they didn't raise it, they didn't need it. You know what I mean? I found that interesting, and. That is where we end our session.
on to the next. Here we go.